Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. I need you for a moment to forget everything you know about finance and money and ownership of stuff and and property. I want you to forget everything that you have ever learned growing up in the United States or wherever else you lived. I need you to to just for a moment er, just have erase your memory as it relates to finance. And I need to take you back nearly 3,500 years if for, in order for you to be able to understand this message today, you are going to need to understand the culture in which these people lived. And it is so different from ours that, that in order to get the, the concept, you need to understand it. And so where I want you to go back to is about 1500 BC or so, and it's the time of Moses. And during that time, the children of Israel, from the time of Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons, they were in Egypt, And over 500 years, they grew into a great nation of nearly a million people. And those million Jews had one thing in common. Every single one of them were slaves. Every single one. All of the people that that the Pharaoh had decided, the Jewish people are going to be our slaves, and all of them are going to be slaves. And so they owned Nothing. That everything they did was provided for them by their masters, the place where they lived. They were truly slaves in Egypt in every conceivable sense of the word, and there was no hope of them ever getting out of slavery. That's just the way that it was. And so it's to these people who for 500 years, roughly, maybe more like 400 by the time they actually truly became slaves, That is the only life that they knew. The concept of being free was was beyond them, really. And the concept of owning anything also was foreign to them. And then the Lord intervened. And on one day, as it was the Passover, on the day that they left Egypt, God gave every Jewish person the same gift. Freedom. That on that day, all of them, every single one, went from being a slave to being a free person. It was a little bit of an issue because all they knew was slavery. And so they kept going back to it. They kept going back to the the slavery that they were to false gods. They they, Even when they were in the middle of, of the desert as they were going towards the promised land, there were time after time, let's go back, at least in Egypt, it was okay being a slave, at least we had food to eat, it wasn't horrible like being out here. The Lord told them no, 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 no. And I think that's one thing maybe as we live in the United States of America, I don't know, maybe now that we're in 200 plus years, maybe we've come to a point where we don't appreciate that either. I don't know. We have people who fight for it every day. Uh, We have people who are willing to give their lives for it every day. 
And so as we look at that, that is one thing we have in common. We do have in common with these people, the, the Jewish people who came out. God gave them all the same gift. That gift is freedom. But then God gave them a second gift. Every single one of them. Every single one of them, 40 years after they were in the wilderness, they went into the promised land, and every single person uh, in, in their family became a landowner. That when they went into the promised land, they divided the land among all of the people. Each one of them had this, this place where they could call home, that this was my land. And so with my freedom and being given this gift of land, uh, now I have the ability to, to generate income for myself. I have the ability to live as a free person. I have this land that I can go back to that's going to produce crops for me. I can work it and, and I can live uh, in this wonderful relationship I have with God. Remember at this time, there were no such thing, there was no such thing as bankruptcy. There was no such thing as welfare. There were no social programs that existed for these people. If they got into debt of any kind and things like that, and, and so what would happen is this, is there were times when individuals, like today, commonality, bad managers, not good at managing their time, not good at managing their freedom, not good at managing their land. And so at times what they would do in order to try to get some money, in order to try to uh, make up for losses they had, they would either mortgage their land or sell themselves as servants. And, and even God gave each one of them, even those who were bad managers, what he gave them was a do-over. Every 50 years was a year of jubilee. And so what happened is even if you sold yourself back into servitude and even if you sold your land every 50 years, it was given back to you. And that was God's way of saying again, every time in life, you're going to get a do-over. You're going to get your freedom back. You're going to get your land back. And in that way, even the playing field, if you want to call it that. Now, do you understand how different that is for us? That, that those concepts are, are ones that, that, that are hard for us maybe to understand. But they are essential to understand, to understand Nehemiah chapter 5. And the reason why is because as Nehemiah comes back to the promised land, and, and remember, he, he's building this wall around Jerusalem. Just in case I haven't told you this lately, he's not there to build a wall. He's there to build a people. The wall just happens to be the project. But in the midst of this, what he is doing is he's establishing more than just a wall. He's establishing a culture. This is how you live. This is the way that you value each other. These are the ways that we live with each other. And these people needed to understand that they had gone in their time of captivity where they were taken to Babylon. Uh, at, it was a time where everyone was looking out for themselves, that it was not the way that God wanted them to live. And it's to these group of people, that this group of people that that Nehemiah is speaking and God is speaking today. And as he does so, we are going to see that the lessons that were taught, even though it's a very different time and a very different way of looking at finance, that the messages that were taught remain today. 
And, and we will see how Nehemiah was guiding them towards a, a value that God values very much, and that is being compassionate and generous and forgiving. And what he was trying to show them is those very things that we depend on God to be every day are things that he wants to see in us every day and, and for our lives to be a reflection of God's generosity. So that having been said, we go to Nehemiah chapter 5, uh, beginning with the first verse. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. All right, so, so we get into this, and hopefully the setup makes you appreciate a little bit of what is going on. That as they look at the two gifts God has given us, which are our land and our freedom, both of those we've had to sell in order to survive. And so as you go back, let's go back to the beginning in verse 1. Where, where it says, now the men and their wives raised a great cry, uh, outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. So in order for us to stay alive, we must get grain. This could, have been this could have been shortened a little bit. And they could have simply said, we are starving to death. We're starving. There, there's a, 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 there's this, this famine in the land. And... And maybe what I'm going to have you do is, where it says famine, write the word recession. That, that as we go through those types of things, that's the language we understand. And we understand when, when things go into a recession, uh, everything starts to implode. And, and one of those specifically during this time was the fact that they did not have anything to eat, going to bed hungry every night. The next part, as we go down there, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine, during the, reception, the recession. So, so now they're doing this, and you can imagine the price they were getting for their fields and, and things like that was rock bottom, that they were in no position to be able to dictate what they got for their land because they needed food. It, it was definitely a seller's market for grain and a buyer's market for land. And so when you look at this, what they were mortgaging, they were, in order to make it through today, I have to give away tomorrow. And, and so as they, they started to live, they realized they were living with no hope because once their land was gone, their means of income was gone. There was no hope for them. A little bit later, where it talks about paying the king's tax. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews and our children are as good as theirs, yet we have had to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later uh, when we get on to the second page. But this would have been the way it was, where to say, we need to get some money. And, and in order to do that, 
um, we are going to have our kids go into some type of servitude. And you can look at that and you say, what kind of, what kind of parent would do that? And probably someone like me, where they look at me and go, let's face it, dude, your best days are behind you. Um, what we're looking for maybe is your kids who, who have a little bit of a future and maybe can be taught, um, who don't think they know everything. And, and that's who we can use uh, for the future. Those are the ones that, that we want in servitude, not you. So, so that was part of that, and we'll get to a little bit more of that later. And then notice, but we are powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. And, and as we look at this, uh, let's, go, let's do the fill-in right away. Heartless leaders use difficult times to take advantage of those who are most vulnerable, who are most vulnerable and least fortunate. Who are most vulnerable and least fortunate. Now, hopefully, uh, you, you begin to see the picture here of what is going on at Nehemiah's time. All of this was bad, but the travesty of it, that, that as they looked at it, the problem that, that bothered them the most is not just that this was happening, but the word starts out, this was against line one. They, they raised an outcry against their fellow Jews. Because what was happening is this wasn't being done by the Babylonians. This wasn't being done by a foreign country. This wasn't being done by our enemies. These are the things that were being done by our families. That, that people who are our relatives, those individuals who, who are close to us. And what they are saying in essence to Nehemiah is as you're thinking about building this wall, about coming together, you need to see where we are. And so this morning, as, as we look at this message, my question for you is, are you willing to look at poverty? Are you willing to, to take time from, from the world in which you live and see the need and the hurt and the heartache that is out there? I wrote the, uh, the Friday email, if any of you happen to see it, where I talked about this being guided by compassion. And uh, I don't have cable TV, but I do watch TV at night. And so uh, on the H&I channel, uh, it's every night they have the same commercials. And so the, the ones that you get are uh, St. Jude Hospital, Shriners Hospital, uh, then you get, uh, I don't know what the name of it is, but the, the Jews who live in Russia who are going through difficult times, $25 to help Holocaust survivors. And then there's usually some type of an animal shelter uh, request as well. And, and for $19 a month, you can start to make a difference. Or for no cost, you can go to the other channel. And, and as you look at it, and that's what happens, is, is because that I don't want to look at it. I, I would rather not see it, because that does start to affect me a little bit. So instead, let's go to another channel and at least get to a consumer cellular commercial and, uh, that, that aren't asking for money from me. But this week, I, was, I, I have to look. 
I believe that God, that Nehemiah was telling the people, you need to look at this and we need to look at it as well. This is for Arizona. If you go to povertyusa.org, go there. Go there and simply my encouragement to you is look. 6.7 million people, roughly, more than that now, this was from 2017, live in Arizona. And 1.1 million of us live in poverty. 8% of the people in Arizona, and I have to believe 8%, if not more, of, of the people that come to Crosswalk live in deep poverty. And deep poverty means that they make less than half of what it takes per person to actually live in poverty. So, so give you an idea of what poverty is. It's a four-people uh, family that makes $25,000 or less a year. And so 8% is a family of four that is living off of $11,000 to $12,000 a year. And that's Maricopa County. So, so if you think this is somewhere else, that this is somewhere where we don't have to see it, I'm telling you, this is where it is now. 14% live in supplemental poverty. Supplemental poverty means that they are not in poverty simply because of government programs that exist to bump them over the threshold of the 25,000 to get them to 26, so we no longer have to say that they live in poverty. 11.1% of our population, and again, people in Levine, this is, this is our, our people, are food insecure, which means they do not know the next day where their food is coming from. That, that they don't know where that next meal is going to be. And if you look at this by race, 14.8% of white are uh, below the poverty level. 25% Hispanic, one out of four Hispanic people. Black is 22.8, Asian 13.1, and Native, America, Native American is 36 I don't have to worry about it because my garage door works, which means I can just go in, have the garage door close behind me, and it's not my problem. And, and Nehemiah, and I believe our God, would beg to differ. That as we look at this, this has been the, the, the biggest issue that, that Nehemiah dealt with, and it's probably the biggest issue that I deal with as a pastor. And that is the, the selfishness and self-centeredness of myself and the self-centeredness of the people who come into this building every week. That as you look at this, you, you realize that this becomes, this becomes a problem, and, it, and it's our problem, because these are our brothers and sisters. These are the people who live next door to us. These are the people who, who, who live in our community. And this is bringing back echoes to me of our No Help at All message series. That if you want to look at this in terms of a no help at all, the, my question for you is, is, first of all, if you are someone who is living in this poverty, we see you. If you are someone who, who is food insecure, I believe at Crosswalk we can promise you help. We, have, we do have a compassions fund. We do have a love one another fund. 
And, and so as we're looking at this, I can't promise you steak every week or anything like that. But as we look at this, can't we get to a point? The, the issue is that we've made this the government's issue. I pay my taxes. I do that. Go, go find help there. But as we look at this, Nehemiah is not saying that. Nehemiah is saying, actually, the, the, the problem with the government is it's probably more of part of the problem. And it comes down to personal responsibility. Now, as you hear this, I know this is like, now I'm the St. Jude commercial. <laughs> now I'm the, 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 now I made you look at it, right? And so where do we go from here? Where, where, where is the place, where does this message go? Where does Nehemiah take these people? Where is their resolution? And the first part of it is this, is, is just the, the, I'm not asking you to do anything right now except to open your eyes. You don't even need to open your heart yet. Just open your eyes. Nehemiah did, and he opened his ears, which is why we get to Nehemiah 5, 6, and 7. When I heard their outcry in these charges, I was angry. I was like, you got to be kidding me. What is wrong with these people? I pondered them in my mind, and then accused the nobles and, and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a, a large meeting to deal with them. That, that at some point, there, there's, this does hit us on an emotional level. This is wrong. That, that Nehemiah was able to see this, and, and as he looked at it, it, in a very specific way. And notice what, what the wrongness was about it. Nehemiah was not saying that they should have a socialistic society. But what he was telling them is when you take away their freedom and their land, they have no hope for getting out of this. And, and at least give them a means by which they can improve themselves. Give them a means by which they can dig themselves out of this because where they're at now, they can't. And that's why he was so angry. First of all, notice he started, it was with emotion. And that's where a lot of these things start. And then uh, he, he went from there to now I have a plan. In the blank, you can write, Nehemiah reacted emotionally but responded rationally and directly to the selfish behavior. We're going to have to have a little conversation about this and, and see who, who's part of the problem. The next words. And this is what he said. And he said, so he, to deal with them, and he said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who, who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging the interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. Stop it. We have these gouging that happens today. You know that, right? That... that Am I the only person who, who, again, who's watching late night TV and, and says, who actually goes to check into cash? 
Who actually goes and takes the title of their vehicle so that they can get a, a 30% loan on their, that they're probably never going to be able to pay off? And the answer to that is 25% of the people who serve in our military. The most vulnerable people to those things, if you go see where, where they, they are from, it's people who are in the military, who, who are out on some type of leave, need the money right away, and want it right now, and, and then they, they are in debt and remain in huge debt. Once again, individuals who are close to us, individuals who, who, who are protecting us. This is, this is the groups that we're talking about. And, and again, this is about, what he's talking about is this, this idea of gouging. When we go through the recession, we know in the housing market, we've been through that, haven't we? Homes that one time sold for $250,000, $300,000 being sold for $130,000, $140,000. Those are ones I've seen personally. And we take advantage. We, we take advantage of those times. We, we set ourselves up and we don't care about who is hurt. And it's time to open our eyes to those things. But here, here's the thing, though. And, and here's where Nehemiah took them, and that was to the, this concept. I already told you they were given freedom, and they were given land, and then they were given a year of jubilee, and, and that would be a time when they would get it all back. But they were given one more thing, one more. And that was everyone in their family had a kinsman redeemer. And what a kinsman redeemer was, was your nearest blood relative who was responsible to get your land back and get you out of slavery if you ever went into it. And so I've, I've told this before, the way that it works would be like this. If, if I was here in Levine and I, I rented a uh, cotton field off of Dobbins for a for, uh, million dollars, and I thought that I'd be able to raise $2 million over two years. So I rent it, and I make this agreement. Except I never got water rights with it. And so I'm in trouble now. So after two years of, of working hard with no water, I have no crop. So I owe a million dollars. And so I would do what every good Jewish person would do. I would sell my children into slavery. And here's why. Because I could get maybe 50000 a piece for my kids for a period of time, and that would give me $250,000. But as long as they were in slavery, I would not be, which would allow me to work to get them out of slavery. But either way, I'm only 250000 into a million-dollar debt, so then I would sell my wife into slavery. And she's, you know, Tanya, she's worth a good $250,000. She's, she's got some money behind her, but I'm still 500000 and then finally, I sell myself into slavery. And the second I sell myself into slavery, there is no hope for my family anymore. Because now when you're in slavery, everything you do is simply paying the interest you owe. And you are in slavery for the rest of your life. And so is your family. Until the kinsman redeemer comes. And the kinsman redeemer is my nearest blood relative who would come and pay a debt that I could no longer pay because I was in slavery. He, he gets me out of debt. And, and now he, he restores my, my freedom. And he, and he ref, restores my land so that now I, I can move forward again. All of this is a picture. And this is where it all comes down. And that is this. 
God used that picture of the kinsman redeemer and redemption to show you your relationship in Jesus Christ. The biggest problem that we face as a community is not a shortage of money. It's not the the financial poverty. It's spiritual poverty. That that if you want to look at the debt, the the debt that we have, the spiritual poverty is not 16%. It's not 20%. The spiritual poverty in Levine is at 100%. All of us. And and that is why as we get up here and we talk about it and Stephen does a confession of sins, it's this reality that when we sin, we become a slave to sin. And, And it doesn't matter if you try to be a good person, everything like that. I get it. I'm not saying that you shouldn't want to do that. But it doesn't get you out of the slavery of sin. It doesn't get you out of the debt that you owe God because of your sin. And it was only through a Redeemer a blood relative of yours, one who came into this world and became man for us, Jesus Christ. And as we look at his life, his life is the payment for your life of sin. And that's why we look at, as you read through the Bible stories, every single one of them shows Jesus not only that, don't think of him as an example of what to do, even though he is that, but rather we see in Jesus living the perfect life that God demands of you. We see the ransom payment, the redemption payment for you. And as someone who is redeemed, as someone who has gone through the slavery and come out the other side, not from anything they've done, but by a gift from God, I am telling you that changes a person, changes who we are. And that is where a heart of generosity is developed, not just by seeing need. That will produce guilt. I get it. And and we did that for a while, to look at it. Look at it in the face and recognize the problem there is. But if you are going to move forward from this, it comes from a heart of generosity. And a heart of generosity comes from realizing what you have been given. That's what we have through our God. In, In the blank, you can write, godly leaders understand the concept of redemption and live as someone who has been redeemed. I am redeemed. I am bought back. So are you. I am redeemed. Each one of you can say, let's say it together. I am redeemed. Okay, next. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath and do what they had promised. I'll have you fill in the blank right there, right away. Nehemiah had the leaders take an oath because he knew how easy it is to be selfish and greedy. I have no problem giving $19 to to a cause, but I'm not too crazy about giving you my credit card numbers for recurring gifts, because then that's that's now a commitment. Uh, Before it was a gift, this is a commitment. And that's what he's recognizing about the way that we are, that that human nature is, is we can look at it, we can agree today, you're right, I need to be more generous, and then I'm going to get home and look at my budget and what I have, and the scarcity mentality is going to take over. You know what, I I would love to do it, but I don't have enough money for it. And and as he did this, he, he knew, he knows so well. And again, as we look at this generosity, and, and this gets into the next point, too, is our generosity is a reflection of God living in us. It just is. 
And when you look at, I, I want you to, to think about the regular gifts and the accountability that God has placed on himself for you. I want you to think about the sunrise and the sunset. I, I want you to think about the, the seasons that, that come and go. Uh, all of those different things, there's a regularity to nature that is so regular that we call them laws, that they are laws, that, that you can depend on them. They, they, you can, the prediction of what's going to happen is the same all the time. That is the way that God is with his blessing of you. It is like clockwork. It is like the season. It is the sun coming up and going down. That is how God blesses you. And his encouragement for us is that we would re respond with the same generosity, not to him, not even to church, but to one another. And for that reason, as you look at that, one of the things maybe it is to start with is a budget. Um, maybe one of the things to start with is, is a regular pattern of, of living your priorities of generosity by making a recurring payment. I'm guessing you do that already for your house, maybe for your car, if you have different bills and whatever, you do that. You know what that's all about. And, and you don't think twice about it because that's the way it is. And how do I make generosity that priority in my life? It's, it's again, it's by looking at Christ and what he's done for me. The final words are, are, are the words of, of Nehemiah as he lived this. But the earlier governors... Those preceding me placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistance also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not, we did not acquire any land. We did not acquire any land. Land was the currency. They were coming there and they were doing all of this for nothing. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table. In the blank, you can write, my generosity will always be a reflection of my faith. I also wrote, my generosity will always be a reflection of God who is in my heart. And so, as we look at this, one, where we want to end, I think, is with Nehemiah, he had to deal with some serious issues of selfishness and greed and gouging and, and all of that that was going on. And what he was trying to do in the midst of it is he had to identify the problem. But then he took them back and, and was trying to establish a culture of generosity, and a culture of generosity is generated when individuals count their blessings and they realize what they've been given as opposed to focusing on what they don't have. And so as we stand here today, God has given each and every one of us the same thing. First of all, God has given you freedom. In the truest sense of the word, I'm not saying that because you're in the United States right now. I'm saying that we have been given freedom in Jesus Christ. Freedom from sin, freedom from the threats of the devil, freedom from hell. That is a gift that you have that has been won by Jesus Christ that has been paid for and will not be taken away. The other thing that you've been given is land. 
Uh, maybe not land. I'll say a mansion, a home, uh, a place where you will be going after you leave this world and go to heaven. Until then, newsflash, you're all renters. <laughs> None of it's yours. God is letting you use it for one purpose, and that is so you can be generous as he has been generous to you. God's not asking for more than you've been given. He's not. But he is asking for the, for the stewardship and the generosity with what you have been given. As we close, I, I, at the same time, I, I know I'm selfish and I'm generous too. And so are you. And I think it's time that as we look at this, I, I think that's important to be recognized. That when you recognize that, that crosswalk, again, this is not a pat on the back, but this is just reality. And that is in, in the past year or so, we've given about $30,000 to people who, who can't put groceries on the table and are struggling with, with different payments they make. To, it, all in a way to try to say, we, we do care about you. We do see you. And, and we want to help and we want to know. But as we look at this, one of the things we also know is the best way to deal with this that, that we have are smaller groups who can see the need and can truly help. That sometimes is in family units. Sometimes it's in growth groups, ministry teams. That is the place where, where these things happen. And so as individuals who are, are part of those things, my encouragement for you is to keep your eyes open. But even more than that, keep your hearts open for opportunities to be generous and share what God has given to you in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, uh, thank you for being so generous to us. And you've been generous to us in every conceivable way. We've talked about this. Every day we can talk about the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. We can talk about the freedom we have in our country. We can talk about the things that, that we own that you are letting us use as long as we are on this earth. We can look forward to what you will give us in heaven. But right now, Lord, there is also a reality, another reality we live in. And that is that there are people in our neighborhoods who will go to bed hungry tonight. And Lord, uh, help us to, to keep our eyes open for that, our ears open as well. And as I said, keep our hearts open as well. Uh, help us to budget our money and put ourselves in a position where we can truly help people, uh, not just by, by giving them things, but helping them uh, to have a means of income, to, to find the jobs they need, and to truly be caring about them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. All right, as we go, again, thankful. And, and especially this time of year, this message is, is so appropriate as we think about thanks for all that God has given us. Uh, just one, one reminder, if you're someone who's like, you know what, I don't have necessarily a lot to give. Um, as we look at the Feed a Family, always looking for people to deliver those meals as well and, and get to know the people in our community and let them know that we love and care about them. So please consider that as well. And as you go, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Lord, look on you with favor and give you his peace. 
Amen. Have a great day.